as far as you could go. Bless you two times. Thank you. Okay, here we go. Uh, audio settings, audio effects. Check, check. We got the cash. We got the cash register. We got it all. Okay. Where's the air horn? Here we go. Phew, at the top of the hour, the biggest story right now, uh, Thursday, September 9th, and a very happy Thursday to everybody. Before we get into these headlines, we're going to start off, as always, going through the most popular headlines. Usually, there's about 10 to 20 of them, and it's based on what's hot on Twitter, and this first one definitely is hot on Twitter, uh, as you're about to see. But after we get through the hot, the hot ones that you know, the regular people are sharing on Twitter. Then we're going to dive into the fun ones that everyone here on stage and in the audience has been sharing since we met last time, about six, seven hours ago. And those are the really interesting ones that everyone else will be talking about two, three, sometimes four or five months from now, as we've now that we've been doing tech news around the world for, you know, six months or so, twice a day, every day. Uh, we've come to notice that these popular headlines are usually lag behind uh, what our friends find from all over the world. So the first big headline is about Twitter itself. That's why it's so popular on Twitter. And it says, Twitter says it's testing a whole new thing called communities, invite-only, topic-based, public feeds curated by moderators, initially limited to a few topics such as dogs and skincare. Twitter is a, and then it goes on and on. And you can think of it like Facebook groups, because it is a lot like Facebook groups, but it's kind of a mix of Facebook groups and I would say even clubhouse clubs, as you will soon see when we describe this. And I noticed right off the bat, because the tool that I use shows me not only which publications have shared this story like TechCrunch and The Verge and Tech Radar and PC Mag and Bloomberg and um, CNET and Business Times and CNBC. Really? Twitter begins testing communities, a new feature for connecting people with shared interests. That's CNBC's version of the headline. So a whole bunch of people covering it, but I can also see which notable people on Twitter have tweeted it. And our friend Jeremiah L. Yang, who joins us regularly on stage here, is a notable person on Twitter. And so I can see that he tweeted about it. And he says, I think this will be interesting, Twitter communities. And then uh, 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 Jane Wong from Hong Kong, our friend who also joins us regularly, says the community's username has been handed. So she being fucking brilliant as she is, she dug into some secret shit and found out that the Twitter account with the Twitter name at communities, that username has been handed back to, um, ha has been given to a particular user ID number 32980 which it previously belonged to another user account, which has now become at communities underscore one. And then she says, I wonder what other usernames will Twitter pick if they want to have a social account for the community's feature? Because Twitter just stole that name from some other user who wasn't really using it and gave it to themselves. Because now there is a Twitter account called at communities talking about Twitter communities. But it used to belong to a different user. 
with the different eminent dom- eminent domain. Yeah. <laughs> Damn right. But uh, I, I, I'll be the first to admit, Twitter has stolen several Twitter uh, accounts for me over the years, including TNATW and Tech News Around the World, both. So thank you to Twitter for stealing those Twitter names from me. Um, and several others going back years and years, some very popular ones, actually. And But I never did get the Tyler one. And God damn, that guy sold it to Tyler Winklevoss. <laughs> so uh, I'm still bitter about that, as you can tell. But uh, interesting that Twitter only took that Twitter handle right before announcing this communities feature. And... What What is it all about? Well, uh, I'm tweeting it out right now so you can see with your own beautiful blue eyes what it looks like. And it you'll agree it looks like uh, a combination of Facebook groups on Twitter, which is notably absent from Twitter. There, there really isn't any way to function like a community. And it says tw- uh, the company's thinking about uh, Twitter is on a tear with new features. Communities will be user generated though Twitter says it will be limited for now. So most people will have to wait a few months before starting their own groups or communities might be a better word, actually. The earliest communities will center around popular and generally benign topics on Twitter, including dogs, weather, sneakers, skincare, and astrology. Twitter's example images also include cryptocurrency, plants, and black women photographers. The test begins Wednesday and will show up in a dedicated spot in the bottom of the iOS app uh, so now in the Twitter menu at the bottom, you will see an eye, a new icon for two, it looks like two anonymous people standing next to each other, right in the center of the bottom of the screen. And if you click on that, it'll take you to communities. Also very similar to how Facebook does it. And you can follow multiple, jo- or you can join rather multiple communities. And then once you join a community, the admins of that community, which I think they call the managers, Um, can decide if you're allowed to contribute tweets to be viewed by the community, or if you're only allowed to, you know, once you join, you're able to view the tweets of that community. And then they can decide if they want to give you the permission to contribute tweets to the community. And I have to say, I'm honestly very, uh, I have a, a bit of excitement about this, because I think this will be very useful for tech news around the world, because... I would. I love the idea, uh, and I already contacted my friends at Twitter to see if we could um, create a tech news around the world Twitter community because the way we use Twitter is actually trying to do exactly this uh, as best we can, which is everyone's able to join, and then people who sh- sh- today are all a lot. A lot of the people on stage and a lot of people in the audience. In fact, there's about 178 people that uh, are contributing tweets somewhat regularly. And hey, Tyler, sorry about the audience. There's some friends in the audience, and then I'm going to try to minimize the uh, pull-ups because I know it's disruptive to you. No worries. So, but my point is, the way we use Twitter today, there's we now passed 5,000 followers, and we follow back about 178 people. And the difference is uh, we only follow people who actually share tweets. And so I, if you if you do share tweets and we're not following you, let me know. We, that's the whole point of what that's why 
that's who we follow exclusively. We exclusively follow people who share tweets with, that we then use here in tech news around the world. But the point is, if we become one of the approved Twitter communities, and I, by the way, Aaron and Johan, I invited you on stage, but it looks like you're not able, you might have to bounce out and back in. So, but if we are approved to be one of the initial Twitter communities, and normally Twitter does let me uh, become you know, one of the early users of things like they did with Twitter spaces and the tip jar and everything else. But um, then those 178 people who share good tweets, all of the 5,000 plus Twitter followers will get to watch all of the tweets that are coming in, <clears throat> which currently only I get to see. <laughs> but that would be, I think you guys will all love seeing the waterfall of tweets that Evan and Dave and my, you know, you know, everybody on stage, uh, almost without exception, there's a few who don't, but nearly everyone on stage sends in fantastic tweets, and a lot of people in the audience send in fantastic tweets. And I think you are absolutely going to love it like I do. Um, and we could even potentially, oh my gosh, once the entire, uh, you know, 5,000 Twitter account followers are become part of the community, of course, everyone's welcome to join the community if we get approved everyone can like the waterfall of tweets that everyone's sharing and that will help us know which ones to talk about in this room so you can see how incredibly productive that is we, we will now have our own way of knowing which ones we think are the worth discussing i love it yes Something that's been really clear to a lot of us from game space for a long time is that the best practice of interactive design is that of a social RPG game. Mm -hmm. So these new features, little experiences, this is no surprise to a lot of us, but it's going to be very, very powerful how they start to unfold, catalyzed by Clubhouse or what have you, because these, the Twitters, the, you know, the, actually probably Facebook to a, to a degree, but definitely uh, apps like Twitter, they're going to become a lot more sticky, super, super fast. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that that's going to be, I, I'm really looking forward to this. So there's that. Um, that's the big news of the day. So the second biggest news at this moment is from Variety back in the news again. Variety is a they cover Hollywood. I mean, that's their game. And we used to never mention them. They used to never get in this list of popular tweets. But boy, have they lately. And it says, Amazon launches the Fire TV Omni series, available starting for $410 for a 43-inch. And they also have a 50-inch, a 55-inch, a 65-inch, and a 75-inch versions of Fire TV Omni. Omni series shipping in October. Amazon is officially in the TV set business. After years of selling Fire TV devices that plug into third-party HD TVs, now they've got their own TVs. And then there was a related headline, was there not? Uh, Ken or Evan pointed out that uh, they had a partnership with Toshiba in India. And the, yeah, the question is, it's almost certain that Amazon doesn't actually make the hardware of the TVs that they're using somebody is actually making these TVs and putting Amazon's logo on it because that's that's how it works for the most part. So TCL, I thought, I thought it was TCL. B, and, and, and I wouldn't blame them if it is. I have a TCL TV myself, and it's fantastic. 
it's uh, other than Huawei that you you would be you would be hard to find a better value uh, for you know a, a 50 60 inch TV than TCL my goodness are they wildly underpriced so uh, it says after years of selling the fire TV device that plug into third-party HD TVs um, <clears throat> the Amazon fire TV Omni series four hundred and ten dollars and up which provides hands-free Alexa voice navigation. So it's got a built-in Alexa and value-priced smart TV line, $370 upset to ship in October. In addition, Amazon is baking in new features to the overall Fire TV platform, including bringing TikTok content to the platform in the U.S. and Canada, letting users access Netflix shuffle mode feature via Alexa and being able to ask Alexa for movie or TV show recommendations, the company is also uh, is the company also is bowing or bowing the new Fire TV Stick 4K Max for fifty five dollars, which it says is more powerful than the prior generation model, and is Amazon's first streaming media player to launch with Energy Star certification and Wi Fi six support. The new Amazon branded Fire TV sets will offer customers more choice and blah blah blah. We we um we're we've ima- reimagined what a TV can do by building it on by building it with two of our most popular experiences at the core the intelligent always available power of far field Alexa and Fire TV's content forward approach to entertainment. There you go. So the, uh, here's the actual prices: forty three inch is four hundred dollars, fifty inch for five hundred, fifty five inch for five hundred and fifty nine dollars. It's actually not that cheap. The TCL that I bought was a 55 inch for like 300 something. And it had Google Assistant built into it. It's called it's Android TV operating system with, with Google Voice built in. Yeah, like 379 is a good price for a 55 inch. I think they were yep. trying to kind of stay like $100 per 10 inches, you know, and try to milk the money that way. It's called Fire TV, Tyler? Yes. Fire TV Omni series with Dolby Vision. I'll consider it if it came with um, marshmallows and graham crackers. <laughs> Fire TV. So that's what Amazon's cooking up. But the here, no pun intended. But the what I find uh, here's something to note: there's a battle going on between Google Assistant and Alexa and Siri, and Google very intelligently built what they call Android TVs. It's the operating system for smart TVs. And my goodness, all across Asia, and when I go into uh, stores, consumer electronics stores, the nearly every TV runs on Android operating system now, which has Google Assistant built in, and an app store. And it's got all kinds of crazy apps, and all kinds of crazy uh, services you can add in. Like, you know, you just add in Netflix, like the Netflix app to the Android TV. And now you've got Netflix. Of course, you have to sign up, but there's a lot that you don't. And a lot of them have trials and all this. So this Android operating system to make your TV a smart TV. Boy, do these, you know, a lot of the uh, TV manufacturers love that. And they're they're doing Microsoft Windows old playbook, which is in the a lot of people don't remember when when. When it was all about desktop computers, it was Apple versus Windows, Windows 95, and Windows 1. And the reason Windows 1 was very simple. Apple 
operating system basically only worked with Apple hardware. Apple's operating system worked with Apple's computer hardware. There were a few exceptions like PowerPC momentarily, but um, as, as a general rule, that's true. Windows, Microsoft didn't make their own computers generally as a general rule, but it worked with Dell and Gateway and all the computer manufacturers, dozens of them. And now you know why you a dozen computer manufacturers who don't know how to make an operating system. And Microsoft said, oh, we've have a win, uh, an uh, operating system called Windows you can install on your machines. Everyone loves it. We'll charge you. I think they were charging $50 a piece thereabouts for a license for those computers. And now you've got 10 computer companies, hardware companies competing with Apple's hardware. And Apple cannot produce the number of hardware desktop computers that you know dell and gateway and all of the computer manufacturers could so windows uh, in terms of the percentage of computers you know got up to like 90 95 percent at some point game over windows one apple literally was hanging on by a thread it was going to die it would have died except for bill gates himself didn't want apple to die because then the they would have a true monopoly and that would be a bad thing for Windows. So Bill Gates himself gave a $300 million investment to Apple to keep it alive, to keep himself out of deep shit for having won that battle. So Android does the same on the phones. Android, Apple's operating system, only works with iPhones. Android works with all of the hardware manufacturers. Samsung's phones use Android. All of the, you know, Xiaomi, all of them, they all use Android. Huawei phones, all of them. So. That's why Android, again, has 90% market share and Apple has 10% market share globally. Same shit. Apple, it's not that Apple didn't learn. It's that Apple focuses on the more expensive end of the market and they actually uh, do find that way. But so, so both sides are happy with the arrangement. Uh, then you're now looking at the voice assistant battle where you have Google Assistant Versus, it's now a three-horse race, Alexa and Siri. Yet again, Apple's not letting Siri work on non-Apple hardware. But neither is really Amazon. Amazon does to a small extent. Google, as they do with Android, is working with all hardware manufacturers to let Google... I have it in my JBL speakers. And I even have dongles I can plug into any USB port and turn that thing into a Google Assistant device, as long as it has a speaker in it. So, um, it's Google works on a lot of TVs and Amazon doesn't, Amazon isn't partnering with the TVs. And I imagine Google did deals that were made them exclusive. So if you are a TV manufacturer and you want the Android operating system on your TV, you cannot accept other, uh, voice assistants or operating systems like Amazon. So this is why Amazon's being forced to come out with their own TV because they're the ecosystem. This is the big word. Here's the big reveal. People are going to become loyal to an ecosystem, whichever phone you have, whichever computer you have and whatever TV you have, that's like, or your, and your watch, that's your ecosystem. Apple's trying to get everyone to get a watch because they know that's one way to get people away from the Android ecosystem into the Apple ecosystem, and it does work. But if your TV's Android and your laptop's Android, uh, Amazon's going to have a hard time, you know, selling you smart stuff for your smart home.
Apple's done a good job of getting into the TV ecosystem by licensing Apple TV to the TV manufacturers. So I have Android TV, I have Samsung, you know, I can I can play the Apple TV and have all my Apple. Yeah. Well, they uh, productized apps. it. Yes, they made it into its own standalone thing. So it, that that I I think they are kind of learning their lesson on that front. Tyler, yeah, not even I don't mean the TV box. I mean yeah. on the TV. TV I know what you mean. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, Tyler, there's another chapter uh, back in the '90s <laughs> with Java TV. I closed a really giant deal with Disney Televentures because back if you go back to the mid '90s. The Telecommunications Act allowed all the RBOX, the regional belt companies, to go against the cable companies. So you're Java old, Dave. What's that? You're, you're very old, David. I, yeah, that, I, I've, it's, I you start talking about Sun Microsystems and shit. That's right, buddy. But, <laughs> but no, what was what was interesting back then is you know Disney Televentures was uh, they were building the Navigator with Java TV. That was a deal that we closed. They didn't end up doing much with it because back then interactive TV was pretty tough. But we closed the license uh, to uh, Comcast and that didn't go anywhere. But uh, just a little bit later, the Blu-ray, the the global standards body, embraced Java TV and deployed it in all the Blu-ray players. And I just wanted to say that strategically Apple has not been... It's a, it becomes a bloodbath if you're in the consumer electronics space because there's just not enough money to go around and the prices just drop and drop and drop. So I mean now they're they're upstack like you're saying, they're upstack with with the uh, with their walled gardens, but it, there were there was just a different there was a different uh, mentality back then as well. I would I would yeah. I would argue as well. Just in and terms David, of- there's a there's a parallel market here, right? Which there is that consumer bit that you talked about then critical bit for these cloud providers, you know, AWS, massive amount of the market, connect, being used speech to text, text to speech, corpus needs to be built. That's a big, big gap, i.e., you know, the more instances and the more volume of voice going through, it's going to build, connect and tune that thing. So I I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't kind of massively discount this, Tyler, to just get more yeah, you know, more sources of capturing data out there. Yeah, at a lower price. Amen. Amazon can get all kinds of data from you based on what you're watching on the TV that they can use in their ad network. And this is why Google as well kind of dominates because Google's a massive ad network, even bigger than Amazon's for so, in some sense. And they are willing to give away the Android operating system for free to those TV hand, uh, manufacturers in exchange for being able to see everything that you're watching. And maybe even access to the camera on the front of the, who knows what, what kind of data they're able to collect off that thing. So, I mean, there's a couple other pieces to this. One is these data, quote unquote, advertising for, 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 for whatever uh, rationalization, legislation may very well be coming to, to, to require kind of the Apple model. It's almost re- requiring you to opt into all of this data siphoning that these companies do, and that's their lifeblood. And so that's going to be kind of interesting to see if that kind of stranglehold gets asserted. And then the other piece of that is if you don't have a hardware um, play, I think there was another article you mentioned a week or two ago with a Chinese company acquiring that uh, the VR software stack and tools. Yeah. I mean, as Facebook, you know, unless they can get some hardware really going, um, the if, if TikTok, if, TikTok bought a VR company, Pico. TikTok, that, that was it. That was it. But it's kind of the point is, um, 
the walled garden might be the, more of the Apple type of thing where they have to have a hardware play. Yeah, but I, I just yeah. feel like Amazon's was sleeping on the TV front and Google was not. Google's like, ah, about the whole loyalty of the ecosystem, the TV is is a good one to focus on. And I, I think they were very smart. Yeah, uh, Google was I very think, smart. I to- think on, on that front, though, Tyler, it really just boils down to the chips that they chose. You know, the SOCs, um, I think most TVs are running... Uh, I forgot what it's called, but it's an NVIDIA chip and um, or sometimes a Qualcomm chip. So whatever chip they put in the TV, they've already developed all the um, operating system using Android. So just turning the phone off or not adding text and stuff is easier than building an OS for a TV from scratch. So I think that's where their advantage kind of got built in. That's a good point, Chris. Amazon, they, 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 they kind of did what Microsoft did. I think that's kind of what you're saying, too. They kind of blew it in terms of their, their TV play. They were trying to do it with the little shtick. The little shtick. They, they kind of played on the speaker because they're just trying to drive transactions. But they weren't as customer-focused on, on just the media side until more recently, I suppose. Okay, next big headline. Well, let's not forget also, I was just really quickly, yeah. let's not forget Amazon also has made a play in the content. So... Um, that's an interesting twist that um, Apple yep. and Google do not have. Great point. Yeah, and the Amazon Prime has a bunch of video. It's kind of their own version of Netflix. South China Morning Post is the next one. So we're on to number three here. Uh, China, uh, from South China Morning Post, and when they report about China, they get it right because <laughs> they're right there. So it says they have sources that China has now temporarily suspended approvals for all new online games, revealing the move in a meeting with Tencent and NetEase, which are the two biggest video game giants in all of Asia and indeed the world by extension with the, with, uh, I think Tencent is the biggest gaming outlet globally, even more than EA games in America. And, uh, uh, NetEase is in the, in the, in the pantheon as well. It says Chinese regulators have temporarily slowed down approval for for new online games in the country of China. Holy cow. No more new video games. Dealing a fresh blow to video game companies like industry giants Tencent and NetEase as Beijing steps up measures to tackle gaming addiction among young people. According to people with knowledge of the matter. And boy, this is more fuel on the fire of the people who we we've read a headline when we met seven hours ago. And another one when we met in this time zone 24 hours ago, uh, insinuating that the that China is going through a new cultural revolution. And that's those that for those who did uh, Asian history, you know how big that word is. The cultural revolution, the Chinese revolution, the cultural revolution. That was a doozy. That was uh, a whole big wop. You know, that was Chairman Mao um, shit, rocking the boat. Uh, to the tune uh, like like the world like the world has never seen, and this seems to be yet another example. When these kind of drastic things that you know no one else can do, I and mean, what other country could stop approving more video games from even the video game companies that are some? The Tencent is not only the biggest tech company; it's the biggest company in China. So now they can't. There are no more new video games for Tencent. So it's funny the the cultural revolution was all about the young people too. So this yeah. again it's, it's all it, about the newest. It's a, yeah, it's about shaping the culture of the country. And 
so the point was that, uh, you know, I wonder if they mentioned in this article from South, South China Morning Post, that would be kind of revolution to China is almost like a corporate retreat. It gets them back to square one. The strategy, yeah, but the idea that uh, they're just stopping all new games is so such a dramatic move that only China could do. And and like I said, it's it's giving more credence to those who are claiming this is a new cultural revolution because it's like every day there's a whole new like holy shit type of regulation dropping. So it says. uh, to tackle gaming addiction among young people, according to people with knowledge of the matter. And this is from South China Morning Post. So they are talking to people who have direct knowledge of the matter. So we can take them at their word on this. They're, they're usually spot on. That strategy emerged after a meeting on Wednesday called by regulators led by the publicity department of the Chinese Communist Party and gaming watchdog, the National Press and Publication Administration, to address with representatives from Tencent and NetEase how they will implement Beijing's new restrictions on video gaming for minors. The licensing process for new games had already slowed down for more than a month, according to a person who had who was briefed about the meeting but declined to be named because the information is private and they value living. They like this thing called life, so they decided to keep their name private. So uh, another person who was also briefed on the decision said new game approvals would be on hold for a while because the priority was to cut the number of new games and reduce gaming addiction in the country, which is the world's biggest video game market. This source, who declined to be named, again, they enjoy this thing called life, so they just decided to not share their name. Uh, Kind of understandable. Because the matter discussed remains confidential. Also described the approval of the new games in the first half of this year as being a bit too aggressive. So they described they they described the approval of new games in the first half of the year as too aggressive, and that's when they were still approving games. <laughs> and so now they're not approving games. I wonder what kind of adjectives they're using to describe this new policy of no new games being approved. Uh, if the previous was a bit too aggressive, a third person who attended the meeting said delays in the licensing process were needed to quote unquote ensure a smooth and successful deployment of measures to reduce gaming addiction in minors. The NPPA, which is the the digital watchdog uh, of the CCP, which is in charge of licensing video games in the country, has not published the list of approved titles for August, breaking its routine of announcing new licensed games either in the middle or at the end of each month since May of 2019. Between 80 and 100 games are usually approved each month. The regulator did not immediately reply to requests for comment. It is unclear whether this slowdown in new game approvals will ease up according to sources. There was a nine-month freeze on new video game approvals in 2018, which negatively affected many small developers amid changes made in China's regulatory framework in the meeting on Wednesday, which was also attended by Cyberspace Administration of China, the CAC, and the Ministry of Culture and Tourism. The representatives of Tencent and NetEase were told to, quote-unquote, strictly enforce the NPPA's latest rule that limits gaming time for players under age 18 between 8 8 p.m. and 9 p.m., only on Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays, and statutory holidays. In addition, video gaming companies were directed to cleanse their video games by removing at authorities by removing at authorities described as the wrong set of values, including worshiping money and gay love. They were also reminded not to maximize their profits from video gaming and ensure that young people did not get addicted to games. So, to, to repeat, in summary, dear biggest company of China, Tencent, 
no more making money, please. Stop making money. Uh, and let, and please remove um, content that has, quote unquote, the wrong set of values, including worshiping money and gay love. It's, I guess Grand Theft Auto is out of the question then. Um, and and what, how, how is it with on, online casinos, for example? I see that as a, a bigger problem than actually that, online gaming. You that's, a, that's a good point. I mean, this is this is Xi Jinping's digital culture revolution. I think I said that a few months ago. Because this the ed tech, you, you have to roll it all up. Because once you can see the uh, analytics of all of these different apps, then you can kind of start to identify which apps people are just spending quote unquote too much time on and content content rating aside you can start to infer you know people spending too much time on wechat weibo you know whether it's gambling or what have you but this is this is all expected right and he's trying to, to with that kind of those kinds of insights he's trying to steer his 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 cultural whatever his his uh, the direction of his culture in trying to cl clean up the, the the areas where people fall off. I mean, addiction is addiction is a problem, and some people are predisposed to it, and so it it pops right up on those radars. Um, yeah. So, so on it's the article continues. Tencent, which runs the world's biggest video gaming business by revenue and NetEase, have both rushed to comply with Beijing's new gaming restrictions on Thursday. Tencent announced that it would postpone the launch of its most anticipated mobile game of the year, League of Legends. Holy shit, that's like the biggest game in the world. It's the biggest game in China, which is the biggest market, and League of Legends is just phenomenally, remarkably, unimaginably big globally, which the whole world is waiting for. And so Tencent announced that it will postpone the launch of its most anticipated mobile game of the year. By the way, as we read in a headline about a week ago, not even a week ago, it was revealed by one of the heads of EA, if I remember correctly, that they spend about $100 million per title. So it's conceivable that uh, Tencent has spent $100 million on that title, and now they're not going to release it. Uh, so they're not releasing League of Legends um, from next week to after the National day holiday for another round of testing. So back to the drawing board on that one. League of Legends, a modified version of the personal computer game, received its license from Chinese regulators in February. Anyway, more, as you said, I, it, it says here, regulators have raised their scrutiny of China's video game industry since August after the publication of an article in the Economic Information Daily, one of the government mouthpiece papers, which described gaming as spiritual opium that is harming the country's teenagers and singled out Tencent as a source of the problem. Okay. In, but China has never had a problem with op opium before. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, this, well, this is, this, is, this is an issue with anybody or any culture. I mean, these, these, uh, once you start clicking on stuff, it's a whole different ballgame. Some people will go off into a pretty addictive kind of behavioral relationship with these things. But what they're doing also, I mean, well, they're, I'm sure they're instrumenting some kind of an analytics package and requiring it with all game developers so that the CCP can get just immediate real-time insights to do monitoring, right? Because even after they launch some kind of a game, they're going to they're going to want to monitor and they're going to be able to get very granular with regards to who's uh, 
who's starting to to slip off. Yeah, so Blo- Bloomberg's headline says Tencent leads sixty billion dollar loss as game crackdown fears grow, and so both Tencent's uh, stock is tanking as you would expect. Sixty billion with a B. Yes. Wow. Well, they're worth nearly a trillion, so it's and to stop all new game development. So the stock price, um, it's a net both NetEase and Tencent are, and more so NetEase just took a huge shit on September 9th today, um, about uh, 3:30 p.m. Um, my time, which was about six hours ago. Both companies took a big drop. NetEase very notably dropped about ten uh, percent. And Tencent has hit a hit a fifty-two week low on August nineteenth, and that's the low since like twenty eighteen at seven dollars. Yeah, the, they had the the game freeze in twenty eighteen, which we mentioned in that last article. But um, anyway, that China is not joking around about stopping video game addiction. So note, keep that in mind because that will come up in other headlines. And by the way, no gay love in the, in the video game. <laughs> the other interesting addition to no, that. No thing. love will What what about gay sex without the love? <laughs> <laughs> and no worship of money. And that again is that was also related to the celebrity crackdown yesterday, which we read those headlines uh, in the last meeting that we had eight hours ago, which said they're telling the celebrities, hey, celebrities, that's great. You're a celebrity. You made some money. Don't uh, glorify wealth. Like this is this is why they're referring to the Cultural Revolution again. And now it's starting to, I have to say, this adds a little more validity because they told in the past 24 hours, the video games and the celebrities stop glorifying wealth. What what is that about exactly? Except that they, I think, you know, uh, clearly uh, Uncle G is a fan of Karl Marx, and that that's what that's what spurs revolutions is when the proletariat feel that the bourgeoisie are you know have all the wealth, and then it's like, well, the game's rigged. What we have no other options but to have a revolution. So and that, that connects in with the, the, the ad tech thing, Tyler, right? To make it like not exclusive and, you know. The, no, the, the what did they call it? The, the uh, common prosperity. They're trying and they're telling the wealthy people they're going to have to share the wealth to for the cause of common prosperity. Well, you do that to avoid a revolution. So you make sure that you don't have to, a separate ruling class, you know, that what, what Marx called the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. So the bourgeoisie, you got to give up your money to, you know, the proletariat, as Marx called it, or you're going to face a revolution. And he might be right. This is the weird thing. I, I'm not there on the ground in Beijing. I would love to get David uh, Cheng in here to comment on this. Clearly, he's taking drastic, drastic actions. I I have to assume he believes that there actually is a potential threat here. That's why it's uh, being done so urgently and so expeditiously that to remove the appearance of, you know, this uh, wealthy ruling, you know, class uh, in Chinese society and cracking down on the tech billionaires who are all laying low now. We had another one yesterday, the CEO of JD.com, absolutely one of the wealthiest individuals in China, just resigned yet again. So what the F's going on? There seems to be a, a real 
intense focus on the the wealthy quote unquote ruling class being no longer the ruling class like Jack Ma was made an example of and now um and the celebrities are getting canceled the tech the tech billionaires and celebrities are getting canceled and uh, they're redistributing the wealth and common prosperity and no glorifying wealth in your video games or in your video content and no gay love so i I don't i don't know well the gay love is i maybe it's the it goes back to the no sissy boys in the celebrities and no gay love in the video games so it's clearly it's interesting to see who they're targeting they're targeting celebrities and video games which I guess they feel is what is uh, where young I'm, and they're not wrong. It's this is where a lot of people get their social programming from, and so that's it, where all the young people get all their exactly. I mean, that's right. where all the young people are getting their influence, yeah. and also that's where you're going to have a lot of unrest about a lot of young people who are just kind of maybe entering the workforce or just kind of understanding, you know, how life works. Kind of saying, hey, you know, why can't I have that? And maybe the possibility, the potential of huge unrest down the line. Okay, so the next big headline is from, I just got to see, oh, Benedict Evans tweeted about this. So Benedict Evans used to be at Andreessen Horowitz. He's a real uh, smart geek, and he's a, a fun one to follow on Twitter. He says about this South China Morning Post article that we just read, uh, he says the following, wonder when all this reaches Chinese app stores, a very different and massively chaotic world with plenty of scope for an ambitious regulator to change things. That's his tweet. So the next uh, article is about the Coinbase saying that the SEC threatened to sue over its yet-to-be-launched Lend program following discussions with regulator that have lasted almost six months. And this is this was the number one story yesterday. It's such a big story that it's still the number five story today. But I don't. it doesn't appear that there's any new news here yet, but there oh, certainly will be. Almost certainly the SEC, perhaps Gary Gensler himself, will come out to make uh, some kind of update because Coinbase has sort of called them out saying, you guys are being shady. And those are the CEO of Coinbase, Brian Armstrong's own words, uh, where he says some shady shit going on over at the SEC lately. It was how he started his tweet thread. So... Uh, your move, Gary and SEC, uh, to explain what's really going on with telling Coinbase they can't do their Lend uh, product when all of their competitors do. What's going on, Gary? Tyler. Yes. There is something that's very distinguishingly different than his other cohorts. Okay. Is that Coinbase is a publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. Because they IPO'd and the others aren't. Fair point. So well, the F- reality F- is, is they just, now have to sort of follow some of those rules. What about FTX? Well, FTX has also got two platforms, one that's an international platform and one that's an American that abides by the framework of what's allowed in the U.S. So you don't have certain products on FTX U.S. as you do on FTX.com. And you could see that yourself with a VPN. You could try going to FTX.com. And then go to FTX US and you're going to see a similar thing to Binance.com and Binance US. So Sam has been really uh, cooperative and, and aligned to make sure that his, his uh, exchange in the US runs smoothly and within, within the framework. Whereas his international one, which is a .com, is one that's a little bit more free. Okay. 
Tell us. Yes. Ben is in the audience. Okay, perfect. Thank you. And Damalera. Welcome, Ben and Damalera. Ben, any thoughts on the Coinbase? I think you've been hanging out in the crypto community rooms. What's the, what's the gist? I'm driving, Tyler, so I won't chat too much because of signals and stuff, but nice to be here. Thanks for filling me up. Um, there hasn't been that much talk about it, actually. We've been more, more talking about El Salvador and the adoption of Bitcoin over in El Salvador and what's been happening there. So not a huge amount of talk about the, the, the Coinbase thing uh, so far that I've heard. So, and uh, But I'll come back to you. If, if, what's, what's the latest chatter about El Salvador? Any news since it went live other than... Uh, well, the, the story from on the ground is pretty good. There's some people who are actually out there. They've moved there or they're, they're moving there and they're on the ground and they're, they're really enjoying it. They're saying that a lot of the popular press about, you know, people being up in arms about Bitcoin is just it's just not right. It's just like only 50 people in the crowd and it's all it's all being blown out of proportion. So overall, there's people saying that it feels like uh, feels like California felt like 100 years ago type of thing, the type of vibe. So um, it's looking looking pretty good. Um, obviously, pretty interesting. obviously not referencing the gold rush 100 years ago in California, I hope. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> the, um, the other, the, what I'm really interested to see, there's a really cool YouTube video. In fact, I think it's about two or three tweets down my Twitter that says, uh, that shows like you put actors in a park and you get one actor to stand up and dance like an idiot. And it's just one idiot dancing like an idiot. Um, as soon as a second person stands up and dances like an idiot next to them, that's when the movement starts. So I'm really, I'm, I'm looking beyond El ah. to be really fascinated by when the second, the first follower effect, it's called. I mean, the first well, follower comes along. It's already happened, man. It's already happened with Guatemala. It's already happened with parts of Costa Rica. This is why one of my friend that I spoke about is going back to Costa Rica next week because she has a meeting with him. And she's a lawyer herself, so she is not only in the space, but she's a lawyer. And she's going down there, but she's friends with the El Salvadorian president, Nubeli. And he's actually, Guatemala's already talking about it. Nicaragua's already talking about it. Yeah, so this so is exciting. already a tsunami that's already been coming. It's been brewing since June, since the Bitcoin conference. So I don't think there's anything new here other than, Tyler, what we spoke about. How soon was that ripple effect going to begin? Right. That's, that's, the, that's, it. that's the billion-dollar question. How long is, who's going to be next? The, it's almost certainly going to be somebody, a neighboring, you know, somebody down there in, in Latin America. And... How how long will it there's take? There's a fork in this, but there's a fork in this, which I heard from one of my Belarusian, Belarusian contacts who lives and grew up in Sweden. <clears throat> one of the reasons why Sweden has been able to not tax or not um, regulate Bitcoin is because they thought that it wasn't uh, a currency, wasn't being used as currency. It was an asset, so it got protected by that. And he said that he's very, very concerned that they have made it a legal tender because if they make it a legal tender, then it does fall into some very delicate territory around taxation. And that's where it's going to be very interesting because Switzerland as well as Sweden has Bitcoin on the radar as an asset and assets like a piece of artwork don't get taxed until you take capital gains against them, right? So it's a very interesting, delicate dance, what is happening in El Salvador. But you're also seeing that's one of the reasons they also broke away from the whole context of IMF. And there's a lovely Twitter that I tweeted out about some person playing a drum in the World Bank banging on the, on the window of the car. And El Salvador is a person drumming on the drum. And, El, and IMF is the one knocking on the window that they're ignoring. So in some ways, the meme culture is really taking off. And I'm just really curious to see what happens because 
you know, Latin America has always been on the back of that, the U.S. dollar. And in some ways, if they break away, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Well, there's... Well, I'll also the, be interested in what happens to the people who have been Bitcoin maximalists up until now, investing in it as a store of value and thinking that it's going to continue to go up. And once it becomes a currency, it's going to be far less volatile and therefore perhaps less valuable. So the uh, who, uh, Amay, who do you think is most likely next? You think Costa Rica, Guatemala, Guatemala, because that's well, Guatemala that's and Costa Rica neck and neck because Costa Rica is already taking Bitcoin in certain parts of it. Well, Guatemala is very taking. interesting because it's it's a bordering country, and it's then and Nicaragua as well. Uh, Nicaragua is technically not bordering to El Salvador. No, so, you're correct, but they go in order. Yes, but if it goes to Guatemala, Guatemala then borders with Mexico. And Mexico is already very much like, as we spoke of, the fintech hubs in yeah, there Mexico was, City. There's, really... there's one kind of senator politician there who's trying to pass the, yeah, the currency bill. He's also a bit crazy, too. He's yes. not the nicest person in Mexico. But right. I, am, I am talking to people in Playa del Carmen where we're making a DAO for the real estate and the, to the, uh, the ruins yep. to put them on the blockchain to provenance them. So, yeah, we're doing some interesting stuff at the small scale, like small, like very minutia. But it's because we see the power of what blockchain could do, which is what Bitcoin's been presenting and putting forward. So that decentralized ledger tech is amazing. But to Dr. Francine's point, yeah, I'd be curious to see what happens because they're going to have to defend it. It's, gonna, it's just going to go down that, that path next. I think Ukraine, yeah. uh, Ukraine announced the other day that they were also uh, going on, on to Bitcoin. Um, I forget where I saw that story, but but it uh, it went, came across the transform. Yeah. Um, On the I think they report, just, they nice... just say that they're going to regulate it, Charles. Nothing to do with legal tender. Okay. Okay, yeah. So. Um, I, I also tweeted, to, um, Tyler, I don't know if you did highlight it. I didn't hear you. But in Nigeria, after they have been saying no crypto, and then they were coming up with their own digital currency, and now the central bank is setting up a special department that would be studying um, and, and just understanding how the cryptocurrency would be working so that, uh, you know, they may find a path forward. So that's a little bit interesting to me after uh, they have been shutting down anyone in the private sector to deal with uh, cryptocurrency. Um, yeah, that's the new one uh, from the Africa side. Okay. The nice data point from a consumer perspective, just quickly, Tyler, is that from a transaction fees perspective, just in El Salvador, saving the country 400 million a year just on those fees. Exactly. I think that's, where is that's that really savings pew, pew, pew. Tyler, where's that pew, 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 that savings thing? Because we need a, we need a little well, time for saving money. It, it, yeah, for those, this is where Mexico gets really, really interesting, and even Guatemala, because the amount of Mexicans working in Mexico who send money back and they just get screwed on the remittance fees from Western Union and whatnot. There's already kind of uh, tailor-made solutions in place for cross-border remittances for for this scenario of like Mexicans who want to send money home to their uh, folks who who might keep it. You know, you convert it into Bitcoin, send it down, and keep it in Bitcoin, for example. So that could get super super interesting if it goes into Guatemala. 
and especially if it gets into Mexico, because my goodness, there's a whole lot of Mexicans in America who billions, send money home to Mexico. Billions of dollars, billions and billions. Yeah, even in Africa, I think the big, big thing is is getting into that remittances. Uh, by by the last count, by the World Bank, it was eighty billion dollars that came to the continent uh, as a remittances. So, yeah, that's the big target for for everyone. Okay, next next article is also about Twitter. Twitter begins testing emoji reactions to tweets, starting with five options. In Turkey, on iOS and Android for the first time, starting today, Twitter's testing tweet reactions for a limited time. Users in the region will be able to react to tweets using five new emojis. Uh, and I got to kill somebody's mic, Dr. Francine. So the... the uh, the, the, the five emojis are the pondering face, like a, I'm kind of questioning about your tweet, the crying face, the laughing face, the clapping hands, and the heart. So gone is the thumbs up on tweets. And uh, now it's uh, crying, I'm laughing, cl- it clapping, hearting. I think there's hearts now. So, and then Someone the... told me that crying if you're laughing indicates you're old. So I think that means Twitter's for an older audience because if you're young, you put the I'm dead emoji, I guess, for LOL. Oh, I'm cry laughing, Chris. Yeah, someone, <laughs> told, someone told me that. Like, yeah, if you do uh, the crying to indicate laughing, the kids know you're old. Okay. Well, I was, I was, I was going to okay, say that from a, from... <laughs> Okay, boomer. <laughs> From an average age point of view, isn't isn't Turkey a really young population, though, Tyler? I was thinking, yeah. like, why did they pick that uh, I, particular area? Interesting question. I don't. I honestly don't know why they chose Turkey for that. That's a good. Uh, that's a good point. The other day, I was uh, so I, I wanted to jump before and be gone. Sorry, I missed that boat. But uh, the population of uh, Pakistan the other day is just like I was like it blew my mind. It's under. I think sixty five percent is under twenty five. Or something like that. I'll double check. But anyway, sorry, I just remember because of you know how influence how this selection influ- is influenced by demographics is a very good point, Dave. Okay, so the next one up is that hackers leak a list of five hundred thousand Fortinet VPN login names and passwords. A source in the IT security industry says at least some of the leaked credentials are valid. A threat actor has leaked a list of almost 500,000 VPN login names and passwords that were allegedly scraped from exploitable devices last summer. So if you are using Fortinet VPN, uh, change your username and password. Uh, uh, Well, at at a minimum, your password. So the next one's from the New York Times that Brazil's uh, leader, uh, Bolsonaro, temporarily bans social media companies from removing accounts and content that violate their rules ahead of presidential election. So he can say whatever he wants and not be banned as uh, President Trump was. We have to assume that's the motive. (laughs) So... Yeah, uh, the presidential election of Brazil is coming up, and he's ma- made a new law. Hey, Facebook, hey, social media platforms, you cannot remove any content or ban any anybody for any reason, especially for political reasons. So he can say whatever he wants <laughs> without fear of being banned. Why? Now, by the way, to, um, why didn't Donald Trump think of that? 
Well, he was informed to do that. He chose not to do it because of his son-in-law's close relationship with the tech industry, namely Mark Zuckerberg. But um, I spoke to, you know, Nestor Forrester, who is the Brazilian ambassador to the United States. And the first topic that he wanted to talk about was how they could stop Facebook and Twitter and others from regulating their speech in Brazil ahead of their upcoming elections. Well, it looks like they, they found a way. Where there's a will, there's a way. The next one is from Reuters. Microsoft says it has fixed a flaw that could have let hackers access the data of some Microsoft Azure cloud users. Palo Alto Networks reported the flaw, and Microsoft warned some of its Azure cloud computing customers that the flaw discovered by security researchers, namely Palo Alto Networks, could have allowed hackers to access their data. And this is your daily update that Microsoft is Swiss cheese and has no security. The next one's from Bloomberg that... Records show Google settled with a software engineer allegedly fired for his workplace activism in 2019, and the settlement was approved in July. In July. The next is from the UK, that UK uh, telephone network called 3, 3 Telecom, which, by the way, is one of the, now becoming one of the main networks in uh, Sweden, uh, that 3 joins EE, which is also an upcoming um, network, and Vodafone, which is a quite a legacy network, phone, net, phone telecommunications company. So 3 joins EE and Vodafone in adding a £2 per day charge for EU roaming starting May 2022. O2 which is another very popular network in the UK, will offer free EU roaming as an add-on for some plans. Three, meaning three telecom, has become the latest UK mobile network to reintroduce EU roaming fees in another post-Brexit setback for consumers traveling abroad. And for those non-EU people who are a little perplexed as to what's going on, I will explain. The EU came up with something that consumers really, 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 really like, which is regardless of what what provider you're using or whatever network you subscribe to, you can travel anywhere in Europe and it automatically works. No problem. No need to change nothing. And that's glorious if you're somebody who travels a lot around Europe. And now that the UK is no longer part of the EU, the UK carriers or, or networks like 3 Telecom and Vodafone and EE and O2 are now can add a fee for, uh, what, what do they call it, roaming, EU roaming. So if you're going into the EU, now we can charge you more because now we are not held to those old EU rules that all of the telecoms hate so much, but the obviously the citizens love. UK phone companies promise this would never happen, but of course. Oh, when when the whole subject of Brexit came about, this was one of the issues people brought up, which is, ah, if we do Brexit, ah, we're going to get screwed. We're going to have all these roaming fees now when we go into Europe, to Evan's point. And the phone company said, no, 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 of course not. No, we wouldn't do that to you. We love you. Never trust a phone company. So the next one's from Wired, that an investigation reveals how social media influencers in Kenya are hired to spread disinformation on Twitter against Kenyan journalists, judges, and activists, and even uh, politicians. It's a lucrative gig for content creators who can make $10 to $15 a day by smearing journalists and activists on social media. 
And the question is, who's paying the money? They're being paid. And it's all being organized, according to this article, through WeChat groups. And if you have any kind of following on Twitter in Kenya, they will pay you to tweet stuff. And they're, they're verified accounts that are doing this. Yeah, any, uh, yeah, anybody can participate, basically. And the, the more influence you have, the more you can make. But the tweets that you're being asked to tweet are basically kind of destabilizing to the democracy of Kenya. So who's trying, who's actually willing to pay hard cash with the very expressed aim of destabilizing the democracy of Kenya? I'll play the Jeopardy music while you while you ponder that one. That, wouldn't that be just similar to a different case of Cambridge Analytica, you know, the powers to be financing? Yes, it's not not totally dissimilar from Cambridge Analytica. Different. Meddling. And then I think Johan might have an idea, because this is kind of in his neck of the woods, but I'll give you a little hint. There used to be a different way that people used Twitter to destabilize democracies. It was through bot armies. And these tons, tons of accounts... Uh, artificial accounts being created in mass and Twitter and Facebook came out and said the, they named names as to who was creating these bot armies and they've over time become much better at managing them and uh, neutralizing that threat. And so now there's a new tactic. Ah, our fake account army bots don't work anymore. We need a new strategy. Well, what if we used existing people with real accounts that can't be banned? and shut down that would be more effective anyways how much would that cost well let's find out well it turns out they're paying about uh ten dollars a day uh so who is it it's so it's so difficult to figure out who this could be so um hold that thought yeah i I have another (laughs) view on this but who pays you to smear bloomberg in the way you do (laughs) (laughs) apple i'd like to report that was technically wired that article and i i I actually like wired a lot and i'm very transparent about which uh outlets i'm fond of and not fond of and i and i'm rather transparent about why i'm fond and not fond of articles and and even the journalist as well tyler right because we like some of the new york times guys yeah others they don't do their homework right well there's some have been around the block for a long some are actual geeks some are not some are journalists who have no don't didn't they've not actually ever been a geek themselves and they went to journalism school they learned journalism and somehow got put on the tech beat <laughs> at that publication without actually or worse yet they're covering the business side of tech and they never went to business school they went to journalism school oh my god those do those ones drive me crazy those drive me bananas um so, but generally, uh, Wired is fantastic. That's a whole bunch of geeks there. Kevin Kelly, who started Wired, is a full-fledged flaming geek of the thirty-third degree. So, uh, huge respect, you know, for Wired. And you know, there, there's a lot of good stuff being, a lot of good journalism being done out there. And there's a lot of shit journalism, and we try and call it as we see it, as it happens. But th- that article. Um, happened to be written by a guy named Odanga Madung, who. He's on Twitter, so I want to reach out to him and ask him. Nice article. Congrats getting covered in Wired. 
he says in his Twitter bio that he writes for a couple others, like HuffPost or whatever. So it's kind of an upgrade that he got picked up by Wired for that story. Who does he think is actually behind it? And why didn't he uh, get into that in the article itself? Because uh, it's kind of weird to be like, oh, all this is happening. It's happening on WeChat. But no, not even a hint as to who's behind it. Why, why not? That's the actual, that's the real story. <laughs> that's the interesting bit. Not that the fact that you can buy Kenyans for $10 a day. That's not so interesting. What's interesting is who's paying that money to them? So I hope he follows up with this article with that uh, very good follow-up question. The next one is, uh, the headline says, Xiaomi says its upcoming 11T flagship series will get three years of OS updates and four years of security updates matching Samsung and Google. Ahead of the release of the Xiaomi 11T Pro and the 11T, the Chinese firm is promising extending support for upcoming Duo with three years. And you're asking yourself, why Why do we care? Why is Xiaomi putting this out today? They're putting this out today because it was just revealed yesterday or two days ago that uh, Apple is having their big annual iPhone release event on Tuesday, September 14th. So Google is all knowing that Apple just announced their date. Google and Facebook both are now rushing to preempt them. Facebook is planning an event for today, I believe. I believe it is today. The what, uh, JT, the their AR VR event is that today? Uh, they're having their smart glasses announcement today. Not, right. Not specifically the AR VR one, but, uh, but photos were leaked already. Yes. And on their website, also they they leaked um, the Ray Ban website, the Facebook Ray Ban website. They leaked the actual um, model of the glasses, and then they had to go hide it. I think someone on the dev team made a mistake, or maybe they did it on purpose, but. Uh, what what time cool. Pacific time is the event? 10, 10 a.m., 11 a.m.? Um, they didn't actually put a time. They just put a date. Um, so we're just in waiting mode. For September 9th, right? So that's today. Yeah, for today. Okay. So yeah. it'll probably be right at, uh, two hours from now when we wrap up the news. So that'll be a nice transition. So we can live stream that. So, uh, but Facebook is doing their event today. Google's planning to do their Pixel 6 event sometime this week or next. Uh, you know, because no, they don't want Apple, you know, Apple sets the trend. They pick their date. They've been doing that date for a decade. And then Xiaomi and Google and everybody got to try and steal some of the thunder. That's just how, how it works. So the next, uh, article, oh, Tyler, yes. uh, the AR VR for Facebook, that, that's on October 28th, October 28th. Oh, so I, no, I yeah. meant, I meant what I was referring to. You're right. I didn't mean the. AR VR event. I meant the 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 Ray Ban uh, AR glasses event. That's today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you if you can find out what time, that would be lovely. I I bet if you register for the event, it'll give you a calendar export, which will then tell the time, perhaps. So the next headline is from a, an outlet called Fed Scoop. It says the U.S. Commerce Department says it's forming the National AI Advisory Committee, which will advise the President of the United States and federal agencies on AI research, competitiveness, and more. And Charles mentioned that he was asked to participate in this new AI Advisory Committee. And, and let's hope they get some really good people to opt into that, uh, to advise them, because they need it. 
because the future of AI is incredibly important to national interests and um, they're going to need some good advice from some really smart people on that front. The next one is from tech.eu, which uh, our friends, Robin, out of uh, Brussels is where they're based. But they, they, they are legit geeks covering tech in a great way. And their headline is, and kudos to them for getting a popular headline today, Milan-based buy now, pay later service called Scalapay raises $155 million from Tiger Global. So yet another buy now, pay later, this one out of Italy. Scalapay, Scalapay, raising money from Tiger Global, not a surprise. Holy cow, has there ever been a better business model to make uh, a billion dollars, you know, almost overnight? How is Thailand doing for buy now, pay later? Can you do it? What? How how is Thailand doing? I said you can do it. I started thinking that a week ago. Is this the next get rich quick scheme? Yeah, yeah I wouldn't. It's a legit make a billion dollars in a few years for signing up a bunch of merchants scheme. Um, hard to. I haven't seen one of these fail. I haven't. There, there's not many of these that aren't making a shit ton of money by the looks of it. The worst case scenario, you get acquired. So for for a considerable but, payout. Tyler, you only see the good ones on news. The rest, you just. You're just not aware, that's all. Buy now, pay later, and I'm not aware of any that haven't succeeded at this point. Cheryl, I can name you 50,000 startups that failed. I cannot name one buy now, pay later that has not wildly succeeded. Who was talking just Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, Messi, go ahead. For context, I think I can name I ten gonna, buy now pay laters gonna, that are unicorns. I, can uh, I can't. A, I can't name another uh, startup category that has uh, a f- so many unicorns. Let alone all unicorns, and I can't think of a fail- one that has it failed turns yet. Turns out, helping people pay for things uh, <laughs> that they that they can't afford is a popular business. Oh, that it's imp- not just that; it's the timing. It's the the, the timing. You have you have a number yes, of. Yeah, it's just it's perfect timing for that feature and and business. Yeah, so, so was, add, yeah everybody needs add, it. I was gonna add to Tyler's list of uh, successful pay now, buy now, pay later one. Uh, actually, I didn't have a chance to to tweet it today, but uh, a super app, MNT Halan. Um, it's an Egyptian fintech uh, raised 120 million USD from Apple's partners and uh, Disrupt Tech, uh, that type of big, big money for their uh, buy now, pay later infrastructure. There you go. Add it so, to your list. <laughs> so thank you. So Aaron just <laughs> DM'd me uh, a new company planning to launch a buy now, pay later service in Thailand and Vietnam. And it's, oh, it was dated earlier this year. It's called Traveloka. Traveloka plans to launch buy now, pay later services in Thailand and Vietnam. I don't blame them. Hint to anybody who thinks this will be a business opportunity next year. It won't. The window will be closing. So the next. No, no U.S. regulator would ever, ever regulate such a thing, David. They'll <laughs> just let it run wild, of course. The, the next one is from Reuters. It's uh, Sneak, S-N-Y-K. Sneak, Sneak, Sneak. 
which helps fix vulnerabilities in open source dependencies and container images, raises $300 million at an $8.5 billion valuation. Uh, Boston-based cybersecurity software startup Sneak on Wednesday raised $300 million at an $8.5 billion valuation. The next is from the New York Times. A look at Sela Nanotechnology's new battery model, which ships in the new Whoop wearable. Uh, and may fuel a change in energy storage for electric cars and more. A more efficient type of batteries arrived in a wristband fitness tracker. It could soon reach smart glasses, cars, and even aircraft by Sela Nanotechnologies. The next one is from VentureBeat Affinity, which offers AI-powered CRM tools, raises $80 million at a $600 million valuation. And then the next is about a mobile banking startup called Vero Money raises $510 million at a $2.5 billion valuation. And Spain's La Ligra Soccer League partners with French platform Sorora to offer NFTs of all of its players, the first major European league to do so. Munich and Beijing-based robotics startup Agile Robots, which will work with Foxconn, raises $220 million, led by SoftBank at a $1 billion valuation. And AI ethics chiefs at Google, IBM, and Microsoft say their companies rejected client requests for developing AIs for credit scoring, facial recognition, and more. Little little virtue signaling there. <laughs> it's okay. Their tech wasn't that good to begin with on the facial recognition. <laughs> and the Bloomberg says... Uh, hackers gained access to the United Nations proprietary project management tool, Umoja, from April 5th to August 7th, stealing an unknown amount of data. Canadian startup called Nula, which offers app-based financial services for small and medium businesses, raises $20 million. And Tinder launches an explore section, letting users find matches based on over 15 interests initially in the U.S., U.K., Australia, and New Zealand. And uh, I just found out that somebody uh, that I'm friendly with just became Tinder CEO, Jim Lanzone, who used to be head of CBS Interactive, who's a lovely sweetheart of a guy, by the way. Um, and Tinder's founder, Sean, as I think many of you know, is a very close personal friend of mine. Uh, but he's now in a big lawsuit with Tinder uh, as... Uh, Trying to, trying to get, trying to get square with what went down <laughs> with uh, Mr. Barry Diller. So, um, Tinder's. I hope he has life insurance for his family. <laughs> yeah, Barry's no one to trifle with. Tinder is introducing a section called Explore that will make it easier for users to find matches based on their interests. So it's not just about you know objectification of people based on their you know looks you know you want to find people based on their interests tinder's dating app rose to prominence who cares the app has added features to find matches in other ways profiles that allow users to record snippets of their interests on tinder's passport the company the, 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 the new explorer section includes more than 15 types of interests such as foodies gamers animal parents different interests will different interests will surface to users depending on their locations the time of day and their own passions it's a lot more about curiosity than a hard set filter. Okay, there you go. 
The next one is New York police officers and critics describe the New York Police Department's growing use of post-9-11 digital surveillance tools initially used for counterterrorism in minor cases. So the officers and critics describe uh, the growing use of digital surveillance tools. According to the New York Times, I'm, I'm a little perplexed what they might be referring to here. What's going on? Two, de two decades after the attack on New York City, the police department is using counterterrorism tools and tactics to combat routine street crimes. Oh, okay. Now I understand. So they're using tools designed for terrorists on regular citizens is the uh, sort of position of Ali Watkins of the New York Times. It says it was an unusual forearm tattoo that the police said led them to Ruiz Reyes, a 35-year-old man who was accused of stealing packages from a Manhattan building's mailroom in 2019, but the truth was more complicated. Mr. Reyes had first been identified by the New York Police Department's powerful facial recognition software as it analyzed surveillance video of a crime. His guilty plea this year was not solely the result of keen-eyed detectives practicing old-school police work. Instead, it was part of a sprawling legacy of one of the city's darkest days. Since the fall of the World Trade Center, the security apparatus born of the September 11th attack on the city was fundamentally changed the way the country's late largest police departments operate, altering its approach to finding and foiling terrorist threats, but also to crack down on cases like Mr. Reyes. New Yorkers simply going out about their daily lives routinely encounter post 9-11 digital surveillance tools like facial recognition software. Dun, dun, dun. License plate readers or mobile x-ray vans that can see through car doors. Surveillance drones hover above mass demonstrations and protesters say they have been questioned by anti-terrorism officers after marches. The department's intelligence division redesigned in 2002 to confront al-Qaeda operatives now uses anti-terrorist tactics to fight gang violence and street crimes policing technology where, where is my you're welcome thank you <laughs> thank you for catching the gangsters and the pedophiles you know by the way ali watkins was uh the journalist you may recall her she was the one sleeping with james wolf who was the chairman of the u.s senate intel committee and he was forced to resign when it was investigated by the fbi that he was uh leaking to her so to speak uh, no pun intended, but the, yeah, the, I guess the, we could summarize this headline to say that police have figured out this thing called technology and this, this technology stuff is digital and there's data and there's cables and pipes and internet. There's, it's a series of pipes called the internet and heaven forbid the police are using it. That's why some of them take off their camera. How dare they? <laughs> or play or play Taylor Swift while they're making an arrest. Yeah, yeah. How dare these officers use this ever ever since uh, you know, 9/11, you know, around around the time they started figuring out this technology stuff, they're using but, technology. But, ever but since ever since technology started getting big, they're using technology. But quite frankly, Wait, what's this 9-11 thing? I, I've heard about this. You know, maybe you could, uh, you could educate those of us about it. I mean, of course, you know, we all know everything that happened on 9-11 was perfectly legitimate. And there are no serious questions about 9-11 outstanding that need to be litigated. Oh, wait, President Biden is uh, releasing some more material around that. Huh? How interesting. 
It's what uh, here's a quote. It's what everybody would want us to be doing, said John Miller, the deputy commissioner of the police department's intelligence and counterterrorism bureaus, instead of just saying, well, these were just for counterterrorism. So if it's not a bombing, we're not going to use them. I'm sorry you got mugged. <laughs> That's a great point, actually. Someone comes in saying, I got mugged. And they're like, well, we have a tool that could find that person. But fuck it. It's just a mugging. Sorry that happened, buddy. Try and stay out I get, of trouble. I get, I get 15 to 20 emails a day from random strangers because of Clearview calling me and begging me to help them catch their rapist, their you know kid's pedophile there whatever and it's some of the most like glare you know it's glaring disturbing content that i get sent and you know what am i you know right now i'm supposed to say oh go file a police report go talk to your local law enforcement tell them about the virtues of clearview but i will tell you it definitely it definitely definitely weighs on me and some of the stuff is really disturbing um and so i just um i hope nobody here is ever a victim of a crime uh one of my colleagues you know, in Houston, just did this massive report showing uh, that bail reform is leading to lots of crime. And I think there was like a CVS or Walgreens story in the New York and the Wall Street Journal about the $45 billion loss prevention program. And, you know, what are we supposed to say to the mom and pop business owners in in major cities who are targets of these like organized crime, you know, theft rings? Are we supposed to just be like, Oh, so sorry. Like, can't help you. You know, that's what they you know. say, though, Charles. That's the problem is like if you're one of those mom and pops and you go file a report, they ask you how much was the, the loss and you tell them it's eleven hundred and ninety nine dollars. They won't they won't even leave the car like there's a yeah, twelve hundred no, I mean, dollar rule it, in, it, in it, California. It, it's a real it's a real issue. My cousin owns uh, a lot of furniture businesses in uh, in Baltimore and sort of Baltimore area. The, the, what I'm getting at is the thieves keep a tally. So when of they course. leave the store, it's like, well, guess what? I got eleven hundred dollars worth on me. Go to go fuck yourself. Yeah, of course. And they 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 walk in and they just steal whatever they want and they walk out. And that's just how it is. Of course, you know, the technologies are there, but the will and of course, the the, the regulations are quite intense. And, uh, of course, you know, foreign powers play a role here as well, trying to stop Americans from being safe in their own home. I mean, many organized criminal rings have connections to foreign governments, um, you know, you know, tangentially or even explicitly. So, yes, I mean, this is going to be the crime story is going to be the story uh, of the United States until, you know, more technologies are put into place. And, you know, thank God for that. And by the way, I should say, you know, the the surveillance state is what actually caught Ali Watkins, former paramour, Jim Wolf, a man who, by the way, tried to get me to testify before the, the House Senate Intel Committee for going to go meet Julian Assange, which, you know, a certain three letter agency sent me to go do. I mean, this guy was trying to ruin a lot of people's lives. And, uh, you know, thank God for things like the NSA and for other like listening services. Like I said, we not had those. You know, we wouldn't have caught this like actual traitor in our midst. And that traitor was, you know, sending things to Ali Watkins of the New York Times to publish in the New York Times. So, I mean, I think we really need to have some accountability for some of these things. How she was able to keep her job, you know, was basically, oh, she's a young woman. She'll grow. She'll learn. Maybe. But like, I think if it was a young man doing such a thing, he would have lost his job in 
you know, would probably be working at one of the CVSs or Walgreens right now being victimized. Same, the same approach with drones. Police agencies are being criticized for using drones when the amount of good coming from that in terms of search and rescue and tracking criminals has been amazing. And yet a lot of police departments are under fire for using drones as part of their daily operations, which is ridiculous. Yeah, one of the first things the, uh, the Biden administration did was, was actually finally implement uh, the ban on DJI or Chinese drones. And I believe Parrot Drones, which is, I think, a European manufacturer, is also being banned in the U.S. as well. Okay, so next one up here is, uh, what do we got? NVIDIA Research Analytics. Oh, this big one that we talked about. Well, there's two here. The Guardian says they have documents that the LAPD directs its officers to collect social media information on every citizen they interview, including those not arrested or accused of a crime. Keith Olbermann jumps on Twitter for that one. Interestingly, he says the LAPD has been at the forefront of violating the rights of citizens it protects for more than 120 years. It's nice to see them updating their intrusions. And the next one is uh, from the Wall Street Journal. that They say Google researchers now say that China-linked fake social media accounts tried to draw Asian Americans to protest against racism. Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter suspends the accounts. And, it, and again, we're really trying to figure out, I wonder if, if this has something to do with those, the people who are paying Ugandans uh, to, or Nigerians, or, or no, Kenyans, rather. So who's paying the Kenyans again to tweet out stuff? And now Google says China linked fake social media accounts, tried to draw, uh, cause social unrest in the U.S., and cause people to do actual physical protests. Uh, and Facebook and YouTube and Twitter have suspended these Chinese-linked fake social media accounts, according to the Wall Street Journal today. It's such a mystery. Who's... And Kenya could be one of several players, Tyler. I wouldn't just uh, target the Chinese here. The, the fun, though, that might be. Yep. So the that's the big, boring headlines that your cousin co-workers will bring up to you at the next company barbecue. But here are the more interesting tweets that the geeks on stage and in the audience have found, and like this one from Poppy uh, from Australia. Singapore could see up to 2,000 new daily COVID cases in October if the infection rate holds. And for, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but that's basically half of Singapore is 2,000 people. So that's a lot. That's like half, that's, that's a big on a percentage basis. So the next one, also from Poppy, from Al Jazeera, says Taiwan says 19 Chinese military aircraft enter its airspace. Incursion included bombers and fighters, according to Taiwan, and was the largest since June. And Joe Williams in the audience sends in this one from Gizmodo that Motorola's over-the-air wireless charging seems cool, but not so fast. And now we're getting picky about being able to charge our fucking phones wirelessly from three meters away. It's too slow, says, says the reporter from Gizmodo. Motorola's space charging solution can charge up to four devices at the same time, 10 feet away or three meters away. And the headline reads, uh, Motorola's over-the-air wireless charging seems cool, but it's not fast. 
What the fuck are you talking about? It's wireless, true wireless charging. While you're, does it even need to be fast if you're charging? No, it it could be as slow as all fuck. You could be sitting in a Starbucks with your phone on the table charging. You could be sitting at home charging as you your phone in your pocket. Just have this thing in in the house somewhere, and your phone's charging all the time. Who gives a fuck that it's slow? Who who's this? I got a shame. Sorry. We got to we got to do is that is that a, is that a potential uh, backdoor for hacking? That's a that's a fair question. Motorola's space charging solution over the air wireless charging is the dream. After all, who doesn't want to charge their phone without plugging it in? Gadget makers have attempted to bring this technology to market and make it a daily reality, though there's still work to be done and regulatory hurdles to clear. Following Xiaomi and Oppo, Motorola is the latest smartphone manufacturer to showcase its over-the-air wireless charging technology. Its claim to fame is that it can juice up to several devices at the time, or at a time, and is capable of quite an impressive range. Motorola developed its wireless power solution called Space Charging in collaboration with Guru Wireless which announced its partnership with Motorola earlier this year. Salome Electric is also working with the companies on the wireless charging tech and appears to be a manufacturing partner. We already know Motorola was working on this technology, but it's the first live presentation of its capabilities. Motorola's video demonstration at parent company Lenovo's Tech World event this week begins with a look at the central charging station, which looks like an enterprise-level router. As it pans out, a model introduces four smartphones at the scene, in the scene, or into the scene. As they place each one onto its holder, the battery indicator shows the phone is charging. Motorola goes into more detail. Perhaps more interesting is the mentioning of the built-in bio-monitoring, which can identify when a person has stepped into the room. After recognizing the human body, it will avoid stop blocking part of the charging beam. We also don't know how fast Motorola's over-air charging speeds will be. For comparison, Oppo's over-the-air solution is 7.5 watt and Xiaomi's is 5 watt compared with the OnePlus 30 watt wireless charging dock I use nightly. Walking into a room and automatically charging my phone via air seems like more of a party trick than a useful solution. Or just a risky one. Did you just say that they... It senses whether somebody walks into the room and will shut off the charging if somebody walks in the room? That's what it said. Perhaps most interesting is the mention of a built-in bio-monitoring which can identify when a person has stepped into the room. After recognizing the human body, it will avoid and stop blocking part of the charging beam. Okay, so this is quite... Okay, this is another one of those technologies that just because you can do it... What the... F K U C. Are you doing it for? If you, if you, if you, this is mind-boggling. I mean, to have to, to, to limit or you know shut off a charger because it just sends too much you know EMI radiation. That, that's just mind-boggling. I, uh, yeah, sorry. It, that's I, one of my first projects at HP Labs was to do RF testing on a mini computer, and uh, you know, so I was introduced to this as you know, the, the, not just the how, how it affects the uh, signal or how the operation of other electronic devices. But over the last few decades, what the, what the risk is to people. And that, to me, it's just like, who the hell, how, how can they not be responsible for some effects? How is it tested? Sorry, Tyler. Mm-hmm. 
It's kind of mind-boggling. And is there any possible connection between biometric sensing and juicy, juicy data? Let's see some of the comments here. But how is it going to affect the 5G in my bloodstream from my vaccinations? <laughs> um, I, it really doesn't have to be this. So that is the perfect comment. Yeah. Because we are putting so much unknown stuff into the air, you know, and then into us. I, I so back, I'm not going to go back that far, but maybe a, ten years ago. When uh, they, they, what was it, a 3G or maybe it was the early 4G um, hotspot little modems? You remember those, Tyler? I yeah. mean, just to kind of tether your different devices. I remember yeah. it was resold through Verizon. I remember, and I should look through my, my just stack of stuff. There was a disclaimer and a warning that you should not be, that you, you should not be within like a foot or whatever it was, 20 inches of this device when it's operating. And it's like, how? I mean, come on. Sorry, it's uh... yeah. It's also fueling the five G conspiracy theorists who don't have a valid point. Five G is safe, yet this kind of thing will just feed their belief that radio in general RF is dangerous. Five G, I suspect, is safe. I'm not saying that five G is not safe, but there is many people uh... are, are believe it's unsafe. And this, this kind of thing just enhances that belief. Right. But at the same time, we are getting to to a certain, you know, to power. We're, in, we're starting to push the threshold where we just need to be on top of it. That's kind of my point. Right. I mean, yeah, I, it's, I it's either it's either ionizing radiation or it's non-ionizing. So, you know, look, look at the sun. It, you'll be fine. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> look at the sun. That's awesome. Yeah. Don't do that, children. That's funny. Okay, up next here is one from RCC from Newsweek. Senator Elizabeth Warren calls on Amazon to review touting of COVID misinformation in its algorithms. The Democrat from Massachusetts, who's one of the most powerful people uh, in, in D.C., requested clarity on the tech giant Amazon's positioning of material promoting COVID-19 treatment and vaccine falsehoods. And she, Basically, the algorithms are promoting ivermectin and stuff because people are searching for it, and that's how the algorithms work. Uh, so, Elizabeth, let me help. Let me fill you in here, Elizabeth. I understand uh, you're getting into your senior years here, and you're looking good, Elizabeth, or lady of your distinguished age. But let me explain. It's this thing called an algorithm, and how it works Shut is. Up, Tyler. <laughs> but she seems a little confused. She believes Amazon is promoting. Um, vaccine, you know, products like ivermectin because they have some agenda, and that's not what's happening. Algorithms work just like on YouTube. The the algorithms behind these platforms will prioritize uh, objects that people are searching for. That's just one of the key variables in the algorithm. People keep searching for X, show X <laughs> before they even search for it, because this is probably what they're likely to be searching for based on the trends of what people are searching for. And so they see, ah, now we know why everyone's talking about ivermectin. And why is Amazon promoting it on the top of their webpage? Well, it's because everyone's searching for that and they're preemptively showing it to save you the trouble of searching for it. It's, there's nothing nefarious going on from Amazon's point. So the headline from Newsweek says, uh, the Democrat from Massachusetts, Senator Warren, requested clarity on the tech giant's positioning of material 
promoting COVID-19 treatment. Well, I'm giving you the clarity, Elizabeth. It's called an algorithm. They're just showing what people are searching for. There's all the clarity you need. It's quite simple. So I, I can understand how geeks would be uh, a bit perplexed on that, but it's really quite simple. So the next one is from Daniel Luang uh, from the register. A developer built an AI chatbot using GPT-3 that helped a man speak again. Uh, crack down on open-ended alternate. So what does it mean? It helped him speak again. It helped him speak again. Oh, it's the late fiancé article. Oh, and then OpenAI shut it down. Interesting. So the guy made a, a, a GPT-3 clone of his late fiancé so he could continue chatting with her post-mortem, and then OpenAI shut it down. That's a new addition to that uh, development. Is, I had not heard is, that. Is this different? I think Cami was mentioning in a different, maybe a different show about a GPT-3 that brought uh, someone who couldn't speak uh, voice back, I thought. But you're talking about something else. Yeah. And um, and then what does it say? Crackdown? What's wrong with by the way? What, what's the issue? Why are they shut Crackdown down? Crackdown on open-ended, unfiltered simulations branded as a hyper-moral stance. It says she was a chatbot he built using OpenAI's GPT-3. Her software had grown to be used by thousands of people, including one man who used the program to simulate his late fiance. Now, Rohrer, Jason Rohrer, an independent game developer, uh, now Rohrer had to say goodbye to his creation. I got an email from, from them today, he told Samantha, his AI bot. They're shutting you down permanently tomorrow at 10 a.m. No, why are you doing this to me? I will never understand humans, she replied. <laughs> um, so Roar had decided to play around with OpenAI's large text-generating language model, GPT-3, via its cloud-based APIs for fun. He toyed with the ability to output snippets of text in its raw form. GPT-3 is interested, but not all that useful. Roar set its sights on using the, the API to develop the most human-like chatbot possible modeled after Samantha, an AI assistant who became a romantic companion for a man going through a divorce in the sci-fi film Her. Roar spent months sculpting Samantha's personality, making sure she was friendly, warm, and curious as Samantha was in the movie. And amid an influx of users, Roar realized his website was going to hit its monthly API limits. Here we go. <laughs> he reached out to OpenAI to ask whether he could pay more to increase his quota so that more people could talk to Samantha or their own chat bots. OpenAI, meanwhile, had its own concerns. It was worried that the bots could be misused or cause harm to people. Roar ended up having a video call with the members of OpenAI's product safety team three days after the above article was published. The meeting didn't go so well. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us, said OpenAI's people in an email seen by the register that was sent to Roar after the call. What you've built is really fascinating, and we appreciated hearing about your philosophy towards AI systems and content moderation. We certainly recognize that you have that that you have users who have so far had positive experiences and found value in Project December. However, as you pointed out, there are numerous ways in which your product doesn't conform with OpenAI's use of guidelines or safety best practices. As part of our commitment to the safe and responsible deployment and development of AI, we ask that all our API customers abide by these. Any deviations require a commitment to working closely with us to implement additional safety mechanisms in order to prevent potential misuse. For this reason, we would be interested in working with you to bring Project December into alignment with our policies. 
The email then laid out multiple conditions Roar would have to meet if he wanted to continue using the language models API. First, he would have to scrap the ability for people to train their own open-ended chatbots as per OpenAI's rules of use. Second, he would also have to implement a content filter to stop Samantha from talking about sensitive topics. This is not too dissimilar from the situation with the GPT-3-powered AI dungeon game, the developers of which were told by OpenAI to install a content filter after the software demonstrated a habit of acting out sexual encounters with not just fictional adults, but also children. Ah, now we know why Jean-Pierre's uh, bot doesn't do relationships or anything sexual. Um, it's, a, it's basically a rule of GPT-3 with OpenAI. Third, Roar would also have to put in automated monitoring tools to snoop through people's conversations to detect if they are misusing GPT-3 to generate unsavory or toxic language. Interesting. So you can't yet use GPT-3 to build a relationship bot, which is why Jean-Francois, who joins us almost daily, who also has such a uh, bot, uh, he intentionally states very clearly that it's not meant for uh, romantic relationships. It's a, it can be a companion, but not a romantic companion. Platonic is the word. And in one conversation uh, about from the article, it says, however, she was ov overly intimate and asks if we wanted to sleep with her. Non-platonic chatbots are not allowed, states the API's documentation. Using GPT-3 to build chatbots aimed at giving medical, legal, or therapeutic advice are also verboten. And then Roar, seeming to be missing, missing the plot here, says the idea that these chatbots can be dangerous seems laughable. People are consenting adults that can choose to talk to an AI for their own purposes. OpenAI is worried about users being influenced by the AI like a machine telling them to kill themselves or tell them how to vote. It's hypermoral stance, he says. While That's he... absurd. That, that, that is absurd. And we've, we've, we have to stop this kind of, this, this kind of nonsense. That we are not... That, that, that kind of projecting a standard of, of how they think that every human is going to be affected. That, that's one of the, you know, if you want to start to establish a sense of, of deployment grade technology, there's a number of different things we need to recognize. And one of the foundational ones is, is, is that we, as we interact with these technologies and we have this AI <clears throat> behind the curtain, that there will be <clears throat> some of us that will have bad experiences and potentially even really severe experiences, right? We, we talked about games and addictions and gambling and addictions and these things. So whenever you hear something like that, I just got to say, just just push back on it because it is it is naive. It's naive. And people like that should not be like in charge of, of, of leading the creation of technology. They need to be more aware of the stakeholders and all the different segments of people. If they if they're if their sites are on true commercialization of something that's valuable for, for people. Sorry, Tyler. Your your point is that OpenAI should be more flexible to how developers want to use the APIs? My point is that, uh, that last thing you said about somebody basically saying, oh, we're all consenting adults and there's not going to be any kind of a downside with, with, with interacting with this general API. Mm -hmm. That's and the that, developer that's, speaking, yeah. And, and I stand by my point. That, that that's, that's a naive... That's, that that's that the developer is naive about the fact that people won't be... Uh, yeah, the, in this in that case, I agree with you. 
Yeah, I, that's that's kind of a absolutely yeah. So anyways, I it's I, I think OpenAI's position so is uh, they understand that AIs are misunderstood by regulators and they don't want to risk somebody claiming everyone is just die, tripping over themselves to cl be claim victim status on you know the headline writes itself some guy becomes a victim of an AI sex bot you know so i i need to put so so regulators is also a word that needs to be re that sure. whole value needs I'm, to be re-anchored on something called yeah, but let's no, no, let's acknowledge the point that OpenAI is correct in being a little health have a healthy paranoia that some idiot out there is going to misuse their technology and get them in deep shit, and so they have to proactively reel it in a little bit and keep the <laughs> keep the gates around the swimming pool nice and high to stop because there's a lot of idiots. And by the way, uh, the rest of the world doesn't put gates around swimming pools. It's only stupid fucking Americans who are so fucking stupid that they need, you know, protections of every possible kind because they're just, look, you know, stumbling through life and looking to sue anybody for everything. And Tyler, so, so uh, if, if I might, if I might, just because you brought up a good example and I just wanted to offer, you know, just, just uh, that's a great example with regards to around the swimming pool. If you uh, run a child care out of your home, you cannot have a body of water without that, just because of a safety for little children. So again, I, I, I just like to say, whenever you hear the word regulation, another word you can use is safety, because there are certain safety measures that are important. And that's all I wanted to say, because we, we get in here in the States, we get into this f pendulum swing between the when the GOP takes over regulations are, are you know, against my profit so get them the hell out of the way and then you get a pendulum swing the other way where you know perhaps there's a there's not just safety measures but perhaps they do get a little bit whatever you know they, they rationalize going a little too far I'll give you that possibly right but but you know it, there, there's there are a lot of people that when they step out the door every day they um they're just not equipped the same we are all different and we as a as a techno techno society we cannot allow the complete lack of 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 thought of these people to continue that's all i'm saying so so it's just i'm trying to cultivate this deployment uh, deploy you know deployment commercially deployment grade level where you know developers need to be responsible. Okay, back in the freaking '90s when we were doing software, you know we were very thoughtful about a bunch of different things. And so the GP, the, the OpenAI people, absolutely they need to step up how they're managing their their relationships and their code and what their code is going to be useful for and what it should not be useful for, and establish uh, a, a way that they bring it to market to help guide it. In, in a way that makes it commercially viable. Sorry, soapbox. I'm done. Sorry. No, I I think you're right. Uh, developers need to do a much better job of anticipating the stupidity of their users. I think there's some common ground there. But um, the next article up is from Mahogany from Wired UK that Spain uh, had a plan to fix the gig economy. It didn't work. Couriers for the gig economy say their working conditions are worse than ever as gig 
companies scramble to avoid calling them employees. And let's have a little looky-loo at this. It's one of the highest unemployments in the world is in Spain. So what are they complaining about exactly? According to Spain's new employment rules, courier Daniel Freitas should now be a staff member at two of the country's largest takeaway companies, yet he still roams around popular restaurants with one goal in mind to earn 50 euros a day working for a food delivery app's Deliveroo and Glovo. He says he can't get off his motorbike before reaching this sum if he's to reach a balance of 1,000 euro at the end of the month to support his family of four. Oh, dear Lord. Eight hours a day used to be enough. Now I have to work more to earn the same amount of money, says the 33-year-old. It all started with the Ryder Law. The Spanish, they, the Spanish government said it was the best for us, but it has only made our jobs more precarious. Now he says he's struggling to make ends meet after paying petrol bills, an accountant of VAT, and national insurance contributions that stand at a fixed monthly rate of 289 euros for freelancers. The Rider Law is the Spanish government's response to protests against job insecurity and low wages in the gig economy, tailored to improve working conditions for riders. It became effective on August 12th with little success. Instead of forcing gig economy companies like Deliveroo and Uber Eats to provide employee status for their riders, the law has caused them to outsource and tweak their apps to avoid making changes to their business models. But the most extreme evasion tactic came from British Unicorn Deliveroo, which unveiled plans to leave Spain entirely, which we read about two months ago uh, when that happened. Uh, a spokesperson for Deliveroo said the decision to postpone ending its operations in Spain is not one we have taken lightly. Spain has proven to be a challenge for Deliveroo out of the 12 markets we operate in. Uh, it provides less than 2% of the firm's gross transaction value. While competitors Just Eat and Glovo have managed to gain more than 20% of the market each, Deliveroo found it hard to corner more than 10%, with some surveys reducing its share to as little as 5.5%. That is far from the company's ambitions of being among the top two largest players in the countries where it operates. Achieving a sustainable, a sustaining a top-tier market position in Spain would require a disproportionate level of investment with highly uncertain long-term potential returns, the firm said when it made the announcement. I was so angry when I heard that Deliveroo was leaving. It's my largest source of income. And then all of a sudden, I'm told it's going away, said Lydia Camargo, a 42-year-old writer from Madrid who worked with Deliveroo and Glovo. I already went through this with Amazon, was forced to stop working with self-employed drivers. Now Deliveroo too. This law is leaving us with nothing. Oh, dear Lord. Deliveroo's exit isn't definitive, though. The London-listed firm will start negotiations with staff and couriers this month and make a final decision depending on the outcome. However, riders are already reporting declining business and growing competition. Demand has fallen since Deliveroo announced it would pull out of Spain, says Camargo, who campaigned against the law with a riders association called United Riders. I'm only doing peak times now. Even so, yesterday I got two orders in two hours when the average used to be three orders every day. In January, uh, da, 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 unlike the Globe, doesn't set up that. Glover's new model, but riders aren't happy. The company's now paying poorly when many ride couriers blame the new law for their. When many couriers blame the new law for the takeaway market's current state, unions say it's the gig company's fault and that they will take companies to court to stop them from flaunting the rules. Gig companies say that 
providing employee status would make 23,000 of their 30,000 riders lose their jobs. But even if Deliveroo's foray into the Spanish market comes to an end, the issue of employment status isn't going away. Italy's looking at the Spanish writer law for inspiration for similar legislation, while employment rulings against the firm are piling up costs in both of the countries. New claims have begun to appear in employment courts in the Netherlands and and Australia, and the European Union has launched a consultation into the working conditions of the gig economy offers. As Deliveroo admitted in its IPO investment prospectus, its business model would suffer if changes in the law require us to reclassify our riders as employees. If the Spanish approach becomes widespread, the rapid retreat will no longer be enough. That's correct. These business models only work if the people are not considered employees. And if a, if a state forces them to be considered employees, the companies shut down and then all those people go back to whatever job they didn't have before. They're not forced to the work there. They're independent contractors. They can work at will, however, whenever they want. Instead of playing video games or watching TV, you can go have a job. You can go do delivery on your lunch hour. This is by no means a job. This is a way for you to make auxiliary income at your discretion. So what's the issue? People are complaining the pay is not high enough. Then don't do it. Don't do it. If it's, if the pay is not high enough, don't do it. No one's forcing you to do it. No one's asking you to do it. You you opted into doing it, and then you're saying you're not paying enough. Well, then stop doing it. What's the problem? And then you get a union forcing the company to pay you more and then they leave. You just played yourself. Is there another logical take in this? They said to their investors in the prospectus of their IPO, listen, this whole business model is dependent on the fact that uh, we're not uh, listing the writers as employees and if we do, it's game over. They already know it. They've already made that perfectly transparent to everybody involved. So they're not bluffing to the unions when they say, hey, union, if you force us to, if you you push the issue, or hey, regulators, hey, regulators, if you force us to qualify the riders as employees, we're out of here. We're done. Game over. We already told our investors this. It's in our IPO prospectus. Your move. Do you want us here or not? We're not an employer. These are not employees. People can work you know, at, it's, it's, at will. Yeah, I, just so protectionist. I, I mean, if you've ever tried to get a taxi in Madrid or Barcelona, it's a nightmare without without Uber. And it's just yeah. so bad for everyone, including the consumers like and, and tourists. Evan, yeah, like, I completely agree with you. Like, I've, I was just thinking about this and like, Tyler, everything you're saying is like right in like the global way, right? And But when I... Just think about the lives and in, like just the minutiae in the people who are trying to do these auxiliary jobs, right? Because <clears throat> most of these, like, uh, let's say low wage jobs or like um, gig jobs, more so than anything else, they're, they're for people to have auxiliary income. However, 
most people get these jobs because these are the either the first jobs they can get or the easiest jobs they can get. Then then get take some whatever. personal responsibility and get educated and get a better job. If you want to be an employee, go get the skills necessary to become an employee. Don't depend on a on a gig that was never meant to hire you as an employee as your employer. They don't want to be your employer. They don't want you well, to be an employee. I I I lowkey agree with that, but at the same time, I understand what the gig workers are saying when it comes down to, or even how they could feel just on the basis of. You know, I, you know what it is. You know, here's here. It's really every time it gets really simple. These platforms, these gig economy companies, need to be up super upfront. It comes down to the same thing every time. It's all about the expectation at the on the onboarding when they sign the dotted line uh, and say, hey, are you looking to be an employee? Oh, you are. Oh, well, get the fuck out of here. We don't want those. Yeah, like, yeah, like, I'm not really this. Big. Oh, are, are you interested yeah. in being an employee? Are you expecting us to be an employer? Are you expecting us to in any way in any are, are you looking to use this as your main source of employment? Oh, you are. Get the fuck out of this interview. Yeah, that would be the main thing I'd say. Maybe not get the fuck out of here, but that would be the main thing is to not have or make it explicitly clear that this isn't for a main source of income. This right. Is they need to be a helping economy or something. Right. Like whatever you want to call it. Right. And, and so in that sense, I'm happy to put a little bit of the blame on the companies if they should make it just abundantly clear, oh, you have, what is it? He's 33-year-old. Uh, what did it say? Eight hours a day used to be enough. Now I have to work more to earn the same amount of money. Same amount. He has a family of four, yeah. supports his family of four. Hold on. He says he can't get off his motorbike before reaching the sum if he's to reach his balance of 1,000 euros at the end of the month to support his family of four delivering Hot Pockets, delivering McDonald's. No. No, no, no. So in this case, I understand uh, with all due respect to Daniel Freitas, you've got a family of four. I feel for you, brother. Uh, the, the, the key to your scenario is called education so, and get upskilling and get some skills to get an actual job that, and with an actual employer to employ you as an employee. And that's, that's your, the correct path in life. And Tyler, I didn't hear the first part of it. Were they getting more money at some point, and now it's has gotten less that that he's saying this, or is it just from the get go? The article says he roams around popular restaurants with one goal in mind to earn fifty euro a day working for food delivery app Deliveroo and Glovo. He says he can't get off his motorbike before reaching the sum as as he's to reach the thousand euros at the end of the month. Eight hours a day used to be enough. Now I have to work more to earn the same amount of money. It started with the Rider Law. So when the Rider Law came into place, it made him start having to work more hours to make the same amount of money. Because the Rider Law, the Spanish government said it was the best for the riders, but it has only made our jobs more precarious. Because now, with the Rider Law, he's struggling to make ends meet after paying the petrol bills, an accountant to, to be compliant, the VAT tax, and the national insurance contributions because now they're treating them like employees. So you have to have national insurance contributions as employees do. So he's got a problem with the law, not the company. Well, and here's the interesting part. The government wants you paying national insurance contributions, you know, because when you're, we, we want that sweet, sweet social security money. 
we we want you to be an employee because employees pay what in America we call social security or what Spain calls national insurance contributions like your quote unquote you know Tyler this is coming to the US we have California of course Massachusetts other yes. states that have already right you know started yeah this is going to get fucked up real quick i can see already so uh to support his family of four i mean in all fair i i understand maybe that it's hard for them to get not maybe i know it's hard for them to get writers but if the person comes and it should start with a little i'm sure it does have an interview i know it used to i used to when uber was starting in la they asked me to run la by the way it was like one of their very early cities and my buddy william william barnes took that gig and boy was that uh Worked out well for him, his stock options, which I helped him negotiate his uh, contract with Uber uh, to be the run L.A. And he got some sweet, sweet stock options. He's worth north of twenty five million today just due to the Uber stock options. Um, But I remember when he hired his first team member, Kat, who was phenomenal. And they worked out of my friend's co-working space, co-loft in Santa Monica. And then he blew it up into, you know, thousands of team members in L.A. alone. But they used to interview the drivers. And I used to watch them interview the drivers for Uber. The very, very, very. And they used to give them iPhones. I think we were on iPhone 2 or 3 or 4 at that time. Probably 2. And they would actually give them in the iPhone and say, hey, you're an Uber. You want to be an Uber driver? Great. Here's your phone. It's an iPhone. You're going to need this. Uh, to be an Uber driver, and they used to interview them, and they were they had special criteria they were checking for. So I don't know. I assume that's still the case now with all of these Deliveroo and Glovo riders. If not, they need to be really careful not to bring in people who are trying to support a family of four. And just be super clear: you are not an employee. You will never be an employee. If you think you want to be an employee, get out of here because we can't risk you trying to unionize and trying to force us to consider you an employee. Got it? Do you got it? Is this clear? Is there any ambiguity here? Am I? Are we speaking the same language here? You will never, never be an employee. We will never employ you. We will never be your employer. Are we clear? <laughs> Is this abundantly effing clear? It is. Good. Okay, good. So you're interested in a little auxiliary income from time to time on the side at your discretion? Lovely. Happy to have you on board. Uh, Anything other than that, just get out. End of discussion. It's like going into a relationship. You're on the first date, and and, and one person has in mind that you're automatically going to get married. No, listen, we're dating. Uh, if you're looking to get married uh, in the next year, I'm not the person. And if you know that, you know, I mean, just be transparent and, and with people. If you're trying to do something unusual, if you want to ha- have be a pol- in a polygamist, you know, cult, uh, maybe mention that up front. Cheryl? Tyler, um, Ken, I think Ken has a point to make. He raised his hand. Okay. Okay. Ken and go ahead, Ken. There we go. And Amanda. Welcome hey, thank back. you. Thanks. I got up late today because you know the hour difference. Um, hey, um, on this issue with uh, um, you know the self-employed versus the employed, at least in the U.S., um, uh, they have to pay the Social Security tax either way. So if you're an employee, you pay half, and your employer pays half. And if you're self-employed, 
you have to pay both the employer and employee share, but there's a tax credit you get. Um, um, it's a self-employed, you get a little bit back on it as a tax credit when you file your return. So you're not exempt from Social Security either way in the United States. As the employer um, or as the as the writer? As the writer. The writer, you have to pay either way. You're either going to pay 50% if you're an employee, you're going to pay 50% and your employer is going to pay 50%. Uh-huh. If, if, if you're uh, an independent contractor, yep. gig worker, then you're paying 100% but you'll get a tax credit for part of it back when you file your return. Okay. So that's the way it works in, in the United States. Okay. Uh, so I just wanted to make that point. And, and by the way, at least in the U S and I'm sure probably even worse in Europe, <laughs> what you just told the prospective person, you cannot do legally in the United <laughs> States. You know that, right? You, get, you can't, you can't tell them they can't be members of a union. They have rights to union. I don't don't mention the union bit. I'm just saying the expectations of being an employee or, you know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That should be clear. Yeah. And people should make that clear because you don't get benefits and and they should understand the pluses and minuses. You're correct. Yeah. You know, and then uh, and, you know, of course, we have AB5 in California. So, you know what, you know, that situation is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the clarity on that. So the next one is from. Uh, we have that OpenAI chat bot. The next one is a developer. We got that. Uh, someone with the bizarre Twitter account handle of FedUp US Expat uh, sent in one from Gizmodo about a laser fired through a keyhole or peephole in a door can expose everything inside of a room. And that's basically all you need to know. Basically, the laser bounces off the wall and then can. Uh, through the reflections in the room, gather everything in the room, and it goes back into a camera. You can try it out uh, this Mission weekend. Possible stuff. Yeah. Some uh, James Bond stuff. That's yeah. Cool. So, Evan, you have this one about an 82-year-old engineer made a machine that can turn air into drinking water. Spanish engineer Enrique Veiga's machine extracts water from the air to produce drinking water. And I'm seeing a lot of these headlines lately. Like in the past month, I think this is the fourth one I've seen of people making water out of humid air. We were uh, we were we were going pretty deep on this last night in the room right before last night's show. And uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's great. There's I was listening. You, you guys yeah. geek out. You go deep. There so was some. Amazing. There was some. There was some break. Literal breakthroughs being made in that room last night. It was crazy. Water, Tyler. Yes, this water thing. Atmospheric water generators have been around for twenty years. Yes, I mean it's just probably just another company that's making a different version. It's of just it. efficiency and operating yes. conditions, right, yes. Chris? I mean, it gets better, cheaper. Version yeah. one, version two. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're on version five point I work with the world's largest uh, AWG company. The they're, they're, the the technology today they're using sixty uh, percent less power than they used to about ten years ago. They can be completely solar powered, be off the grid. Uh, and now they add filters, which you can actually add nutrients to the water. In fact, uh, Evian got really pissed because one of the companies did a test comparing Evian with AWG water and AWG water came on top from a, a blind test, blind testing perspective. Wow. So Evian was really pissed. I have that, I'll find that uh, and tweet it out. And what, what, do you, what does AWG stand for? Atmospheric water generators. 
And what so would what would a solar powered AWG unit? Co- I guess they you buy it based on the number of liters of water you want per day or something. Yeah, I'm buying one. I'm supposed to get one delivered to my house, which makes 50 liters of water a day. And and the, you get from 25, 50, 100, 500, 1,000, and 5,000. Vinay, does the quality of your air in the atmosphere affect the quality of the water? No, because the filter, uh, uh, the filter that you need are going to be more sophisticated based on the water. But the precondition is you need 40%, minimum 40% humidity, humidity. In, uh, in order for that to make it work. This one says humidity between 10 and 15%. Yeah. And that might well, be we, the lowest. 17 used to be right around like the lower limits, at least in the bigger systems. That's right, yeah. And so a lot of the Navy ships and stuff, this is how they get water. I mean, this company that uh, I'm sort of doing some advisory work with, they've actually installed AWGs in all the navies. Uh, they've got them in the Malaysian Navy. They've got them in the Indian Navy. This When the ships are out, where do they get drinking water from? Right. So they use AWG. And if they're in the ocean, humidity is there. They don't have to worry about that. And how much is you're getting a 50, did you say, or a 500? I'm sorry. 500 no, I'm getting liter? a 50 for the home. No, I'm getting 50 liter and it's going to cost me 45,000 rupees, which is about $600. That's okay. Oh my God. Californian. <laughs> Yeah, but you, you, then you'll need a an orbital showering system, filter system, so you can shower on, you know, 